Hello, welcome to the Healthy Alternatives podcast. I am Dr. Christine Sauer with DocChristine.com. Today's show is a recording of my radio show of the same name. Enjoy! Good afternoon, this is Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of the show Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOEFM with live stream on communityradio.ca every Thursday at 12 noon Atlantic Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in today. In this show, I will talk mostly with guests about all aspects of health, healthcare and wellness, from conventional to alternative and everything in between. My mission for this radio show is to help change people's lives for the better by informing them about different options to get and stay healthy and well, so they can choose for themselves which option might work in their case. And if you feel you are stuck in a dark place, I want to tell you, don't give up. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for you too. Today, I'm very pleased to be with my friend and fellow Toastmaster, Janelle Butcher, a registered dietitian working here out of Halifax, uh, mostly with uh, families, I hear. So tell me a little bit about your story. How did you end up becoming a dietitian? How did you get interested in food? And what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, I became a dietitian in 2010. I studied at Mount St. Vincent University, and I decided to go and study dietetics because I was really interested in health and wellness. I grew up with my mom as a nurse, uh, but also I love food. I've always loved eating, loved cooking, loved gardening, and uh, spent a lot of time on a farm growing up when I was uh, at my grandparents'. So it was said, was it in Nova Scotia? Yeah, in Lunenburg County. Nice. So it all kind of came together for me um, to uh, study nutrition and talk about food as a career. So that's been a really great fit for me. And uh, in the past year, I've taken it the next step to start my own private practice. So as you say, I'm focusing on working with families in my uh, newest job with Appetite Nutrition. And that is, uh, again, coming full circle as I became a parent in 2012. So now I'm uh, really, yeah, thank you. So really happy to be able to combine the knowledge from my training as well as uh have that experience speaking from the parents' perspective as well. And that is so important. Now, let's go a little bit back. You grew up often being on a farm, so you're really a nature girl, are you? I would say so. That is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I find that many people in North America that grew up in this area grew up eating the standard American or sad diet. Mm. Were you one of them or did your mother already know that that would be not the right way to eat? You know, I think I grew up like uh, a lot of children in the 80s and 90s with a lot of processed foods certainly were on the table, but uh, we had access to a lot of really great homegrown stuff as well, meats and vegetables. So um, I think a great mix. And I think that's very important. What is your opinion about shaping children's taste buds? Mm. I think that is so important because I know clients that grew up on Wonder Bread and Cheese Whiz and still eat it mm -hmm. because they just like the taste. Mm -hmm. And we all have our comfort foods, don't we? 
Oh, yes. Things that we go back to. Um, but certainly what we know from research is that kids do take a while, many exposures to a new food to become familiar with it. And so whatever you were exposed to growing up, and especially what you saw your family eating, what your parents would have uh, modeled for you, is the norm. So um, to, as you, as you said, to, to shape children's taste buds, I think it's very important to expose kids to a lot of, a great variety of foods from an early age, um, even from starting solids at six months, you know, kids can really uh, knock the socks off you what, with what their favorite foods are, if we only give them the chance to try different things and not always pigeonhole them into, well, this is what we're having for supper and this is what the kids are having for supper. So um, we rely a lot in our North American culture these days on uh, kid foods or kid-friendly foods, which doesn't really encourage a great variety in the palate. That is very true. And many parents just make it themselves easy that way, just mm -hmm. by some craft dinner or whatever mm -hmm. with the alphabets or the animals and the kids think that's cool but really the parents are not doing neither themselves nor the kid a favor don't they yeah and certainly the struggle is real <laughs> you know trying to um, do the best thing for our children is not the most convenient or easiest option mm -hmm. especially at the end of a work day but um I guess the message I want to convey is there are there is room for convenience foods, um, but to not rely upon them solely as uh, what we feed our children. I really love that. So what do you counsel your parents? Say they come to you and say, I have a toddler. I really want him or her to grow up healthy. What would you tell the parents? Well, I work with a very specific model. Uh, it's called the uh, um, Eating Dynamics model, and it was created by a dietitian in the States who's mm -hmm. very well known, Ellen Satter. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's also known as the Division of Responsibility in Feeding. Mm -hmm. So I'll unpack that a little bit, but basically what it comes down to is that to raise a healthy, happy, competent eater, we have to keep in mind what the parent's responsibility is and what the child's responsibility is. And it's very tricky to keep those responsibilities separate and not cross the line. So I'll tell you what the responsibilities Please, yes. are. And uh, many of your listeners may have heard this information in the past. It's not new, but I will say that it's not widely known. No, it's So the not. parent's job in feeding is to decide what and also to decide... Oh, gosh, how much? Kristen, I'm losing it. What um, and how much? No, no not, not how, how much. much. It's okay. just really what to decide what is offered. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's also, here it is. It's also to decide when mealtime is. Oh, when is mealtime? Okay. When is snack time? That's the parent's job. The kid's job is to decide out of what's been offered, what will they choose to consume and how much. And in fact, they also get to decide 
whether they'll eat anything. So for example, maybe it's an after-school snack and the child decides they don't want anything because they had enough at lunchtime that particular day, they're not hungry, they can wait till supper. That's up to the kid, okay? But it is mom or dad or a caregiver's job to provide a um, regularly scheduled after-school snack that the kid can know, okay, if I'm hungry after school, I'm going to have an opportunity to eat. I like that. I like that model very well because often what parents do, and you know that better than me, is, and I see that in my clients sometimes, that they tell the, the kids, you have to eat something. You just come from school. You must mm -hmm. be hungry. You have to eat something. And then when they say, I don't want to, mm -hmm. they offer them, oh, at least have an ice cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those parents it hovering? Ha it happens a lot. And again, I can really identify with the parents have the, the best intentions. <laughs> They want, and especially when parents are strongly bargaining with their children to eat so-called so healthy foods, so to, to eat their vegetables or to eat their you know, whole grain bread or whatever it might be, um, they have a bit of a a good reason to try to encourage their kids to eat because they want their children to be healthy. But at the end of the day, what we, what we have found is that this approach of trying to coerce kids into eating when they're not hungry is harmful as opposed to helpful in the long run. And some people, I think, even bribe the children to eat. Absolutely. Or as the example you gave, they may just get all wishy-washy and say, okay, well, what about a peanut butter sandwich, mm -hmm. right? Again, Offering. in the long run, really doesn't help with that acceptance of different types of foods that we want our children to grow up with. That is a wonderful concept that needs to be known better. I think every parent growing up parent, that means teenager <laughs> in school, should learn that concept. So mm -hmm. when they have kids, they learn that it's not their job to force the kids to eat anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so easily we do fall into that uh, role of thinking it is our job to make sure, you know, and that's what parents say to me is how can I get my kid to eat? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if we're using that language, that's a red flag for me that we need to do some education with the parent here, which is the work that I do is with the parents, not with the kids. Yes, It's educating the parents that you can't get your kid to eat. What you can do is change the way that you present um, the food And you control what's, what you're responsible for. So the what and the when. And that's really, once the food is on the table, your job is done. That is a very good thing for kids to know. Many parents I see do the mistake, especially with kids that later get labeled with ADHD, that they give them something to eat, the kid doesn't want it, and or they want something else. And the kid tries to pressure the parent, make, does a temper tantrum, mm -hmm. or threatens the parents. Mm -hmm. I'll kill you if you don't give mm -hmm. me my chips. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those parents? Mm -hmm. how, how can you change it when there's already a pattern to that effect? Well, the thing is with division of responsibility and feeding, you mm -hmm. can start at any age. Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's always going to be easier if we start when the kids are younger. Yes. But it takes um, 
it takes a different approach to parenting to not let the kid call all the shots. Um, so sometimes with parents, they are, again, with the best interests, they're letting their kids make all the decisions about meal times and food. And it's, it's just too much on the permissive side that can lead to problems. I believe that. And I also think that a parent has to provide, yes, but we don't have to force the children. Mm. And as parents, you're certainly not a short order cook that cooks three meals for three mm -hmm. children. But it happens, Christine. It happens, really? <laughs> and of course, those parents that are stuck in that pattern are at their wits end. Yes, they are. So I do see that quite a bit. And that is a really interesting topic to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I would love to talk more about you, how you approach picky eaters and their parents to get them out of their habit once they are in it. Because many parents have children six to eight to ten years old and the habits are there. Mm -hmm. They are used to going invited to birthdays and they eat their brownies and their cake and everything, which is probably fine sometimes but they don't stop there mm -hmm. so that is that is very important i'm happy to have you here and talk about this important topic that brings me to the end of the first half to the show thanks janelle for being here and i'm looking more after the commercial break tune in for more with janelle butcher about kids and eating and how to deal with picky eaters Hello and welcome back to Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOEFM or on the web at communityradio.ca. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer, and today I'm talking with Janelle Butcher, registered dietitian, dealing a lot with parents of picky kids mm -hmm. and families. And in the first half, we addressed a little bit how to deal with that. But I want to expand that a little bit because it is so important. Many, many parents have problems with their kids eating right. And often the kids are six, eight, ten years old, go to school, are used to getting some junk as a, as a, as a lunch. And when the parents tries to change it, they are resistant and they push and they scream and they holler. Let's talk about that. What sure. do you do with those? How do you get the children actually to accept it? And it's such a common issue, Christine. Yes. I don't think I know any parents that haven't dealt with it at one time or another. And the first thing to recognize is that picky eating in children is a normal phase. So this will happen to just about every kid one way or another. Um, but as you mentioned, many times it gets out of hand, mm -hmm. right? So what are some steps that parents can do? So... When I was talking earlier about the division of responsibility in feeding, I mentioned that the parent's job is to decide 
what and when food should be available to the kid. So let's talk about when for a minute. Mm -hmm. Structure is a big part of working with picky eating. Because if we look at one end of the spectrum, we have the parents that say, you know, you know where the snacks are, you know where the food is, you know where the fridge is. If you're hungry, help yourself. And that's what we call extremely permissive uh, parenting when it comes to feeding. So that sets kids up to never truly be hungry at mealtime, right? So it's not to say that kids have their breakfast, lunch, supper, and we just expect them to make do with that. Kids are little bodies, they're growing and they're extremely active. They need to eat multiple times a day. But what we suggest is to have scheduled mealtimes and scheduled snack times. So two to three snacks a day, uh, and of course your three meals a day. And outside of those regular feeding times, kids are recommended not to have access to any food or drink other than water. So it really helps to come to meals and even to sit down snack time hungry. That can really help with the acceptance of trying to get our kids to taste something different than what they're used to. So the timing has a lot to do with that. Uh, question that many parents will have. But my kid starts screaming and hollering that it wants his chips at a certain time and I don't want to give it to him. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And it, it does require a big juggling act for parents to decide if we're going to switch things up in our household, when is my child going to be allowed to have his favorite snack? And another thing that a lot of parents find surprising at first is that I encourage including um quote unquote junk foods into those regular meal and snack times mm -hmm. so that the kids don't feel like they need to go off and have them at a friend's house or sneak them um, because that can lead to a lot of problems as well. So maybe today our snack time is, you know, a really wholesome snack. Mom or dad is going to offer carrot sticks and cut up cheese and hard boiled eggs, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, but maybe tomorrow it's going to be chips and salsa. Okay, so whatever. Um, Whatever the timing, we do want to include some of the quote unquote forbidden foods. And the goal is to not have any forbidden foods in the house, especially when we're dealing with children. Um, that leads me into talking a little bit about, uh, I lost my train of thought there again, Christine. No, the forbidden foods in the house. The forbidden foods and... And often it is the case with the forbidden foods that there's members in the household, like the father that might love their chips or the mother that loves their sweets, and they are there. Yeah, so they certainly can be uh, introduced as part of uh, the regular menu. With dessert, so if it's we're talking about mm. mealtime, sometimes what works better than saying... 
I would like you to eat your supper so that you can then enjoy your dessert. That tends to backfire with kids. It, it leads to this sort of pressure dynamic where the kids are whining and they're only eating to get the dessert and, oh, I'm full, but I'm hungry for dessert. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we take that whole uh, drama off the table by saying everybody uh, tonight gets one piece of cake. So if cake is for dessert, everybody has one portion. You may have it before your supper, with your supper, after your supper, however you like, but you only have one piece of cake. And of course, if the child chooses to have their dessert first, uh, they may or may not be hungry to have some more supper if they're still hungry, right? But it's very tricky though, because as you can imagine, this takes a lot of bite your tongue for the parent because it does tend to take a while um, for the kids to realize that things have changed with mom and dad, that things um, that I'm going to be allowed to say, no, I don't want any broccoli tonight and have no fuss made about it. So for example, if broccoli is the food you're, you're fighting about, um, you could expect that when you start to adopt the division of responsibility and feeding that broccoli will probably be rejected when you offer it for months to a year. But if you think about it, our goal is raising a healthy, happy, competent eater. So, so they don't eat broccoli for a year. What we want is that they grow up to be able to handle different foods and perhaps enjoy broccoli as an adult. So we have to have the long-term thinking as parents. What I noticed and what I really liked is that when you talked about the cake for dessert, uh, you uh, recommend that the parents give the kids choices but limit the choices to some that the parents determine. Mm -hmm. So if that's, uh, is that a, a, a theme? Yeah, so it really comes down to the parents decide what is offered and then from what is offered, the, ch the children then get to decide what is consumed. So there are two two choices and that, that's why we call it a division of responsibility because both sides, the parents and the children, do have choice. So I spoke earlier about the extreme of uh, permissive parents having the kitchen always open, kids can grab snacks whenever they like, and the problems mm -hmm. that can cause. The other extreme end of the spectrum is when parents are extremely controlling about what their children should be eating. And uh, again, taking away all of that choice. So mm -hmm. you can imagine the clean your plate rule, for example, that many of us grew up with, yes. um, is the other end of the spectrum that takes away all that choice from the child. Um, and also takes away the child's ability to learn to trust their bodies to tell them and send them the message of when to stop eating. So that internal regulator or basically trusting your appetite, we learn that as children when we have choice about how much to eat. So we that don't want to take is, that away. That is a really good point because I remember when I didn't clean my plate, I was said one spoon for dad, one spoon for mom, and I totally didn't know when to stop later. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that is so important that children learn that. At what age do you involve children in meal preparation or even meal planning? Well, meal preparation, as, as young as we can, get them involved and get them excited about it. Meal planning, it's the parent's job, but kids can help. Okay, mm -hmm. We don't want to outsource that to them too soon. It is mom and dad's responsibility, the parents. But what we suggest is to be considerate with meal planning without catering. So consider it without catering. And what that means is perhaps my child's favorite vegetable is sweet potato. Um, and so we include sweet potatoes on the menu often, uh, but not every meal because that would be catering and they would never have, um, really the opportunity to explore other options if they always had that favorite food to fall back on. That is a very good point. So the variety is important and involve the kids at the level that they are able to, but don't give away the parental role. Right. And some parents think they have to be friends with the kid, and that is a mistake that many parents make, and it leads to disaster. Mm -hmm. Well, Janelle, that is has been so Interesting and so important. I thank you very much for being a guest on my show. It was an absolute pleasure, as you always am an absolute pleasurable person. Where can people find you if their kid is picky, they need help with that? My website is appetitenutrition.ca. My office space is on the Bedford Highway above the Bedford Basin Farmers Market. So I meet with clients there and I'm also on Facebook, Appetite Nutrition. Okay, excellent. So I recommend to connect with her. Please don't hesitate to contact me with any questions, thoughts, comments or suggestions or if you'd like to contact Janelle, forgot the spelling of her website. My email here is christine at communityradio.ca or contact me to my website dogchristine.com. I also want to extend a special thank you to today's producer Jim Francis and his lovely helper Luke Eddington. Thank you all for listening to Healthy Alternatives. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer. Tune in next Thursday at noon on 97.5 CIOE of e FM Community Radio with live stream on communityradio.ca for the next episode. Goodbye and have a great day.